This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello, I'm Jake Cantor and welcome to the show. Coming down the Talking TV slipway this week, the industry braces itself for the Shine Endemol mega merger and we sort through some shocking findings on sexism in telly newsrooms. Also on the programme, join us on a trip to ancient Rome for the story behind ITV2's all-conquering comedy, Plebs. And finally, it's previews time. We give you a taste of BBC2's The Kitchen and inspect ITV's latest crime drama, Grantchester. That's all coming up over the next half an hour. Here at Talking TV Towers, I'm delighted to welcome back Outline Productions Managing Director, Laura Mansfield. How's things? Very good, thank you, Jake. Is business good? Business is great. We've got our new Tom Carriage Best Ever series starts this Friday, but we're up against the uh, juggernauts of television. We're up against X Factor, the judges' houses, Gogglebox, and a new series of Have I Got News For You. So we're really, really Tough hoping that everyone is tuning into BBC Two instead. So slightly, <laughs> slightly terrifying. <laughs> uh, and of course, uh, talking TV wouldn't be complete without a certain Mr. Stephen D. Wright. Hello. <laughs> so I'm still laughing at Laura's scheduling. It's horrible. I, mean, yeah. I don't understand why they're playing X Factor on a Friday. Oh, I hate when it. Did this ha- when did this Saturday start night on a Friday night doesn't feel right. It doesn't even feel right on a Sunday night. But this and it's it's ruining the X Factor, which is didn't really have that much kind of credibility left. But having this sort of all weekend like bank holiday, whatever. It's like it doesn't work for me. I, I and I feel it, sorry I for Gogglebox as well because Gogglebox isn't uh, to me a prime time hit on a nine o'clock. You know, for for Friday night, it was when it was midweek. It was a brilliant treat, but now it's sort of there's so much fighting, you know, and, and you're going to miss miss really good TV. That's the problem. The viewers it held lose up pretty out, well last week. Golga Box actually, yeah, it was two point seven million or something. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what that's going to mean for BBC Two, but well, Carriage is popular, isn't he? Carriage is really popular. People are really anticipating it. The food looks beyond delicious, and Gogglebox gets repeated in the week, so there's mm. plenty of opportunity to catch up. <laughs> she says, trying to look at the positive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> OK, let's, uh, let's move on to our first story, shall we? Uh, the small matter of the world's biggest production company, uh, Shine Endemol and Core Media, are finally ready to join forces. And details of their mega merger have been leaking out all week. Uh, first up, we learnt that former Sky content boss Sophie Turner-Lang is to become the new entity's chief executive. Uh, while it was also revealed that Shine chairman Elizabeth Murdoch is to step back from the company she founded in 2001. Uh, and what about Tim Hinks? Well, word reaches broadcast that he is to land a plum creative job at the new venture, which has been nicknamed Shendemol. Uh, now, the deal could be announced after we've recorded, and we don't have the full and final details, but it will undoubtedly mean uh, a seismic change in the in the TV landscape, won't it, Laura? Well, will it mean a seismic change or will it just mean that the big got a whole lot bigger? <laughs> Is it just us journalists getting excited? Well, I, you know, I think we've already got a, a, a TV landscape where you've got big, super mega indies, sort of mid-sized ones and, and small ones. I think it just makes it more interesting. There's a, you know, a constant shift of ownership. But ultimately, what people really care about is the content. And they really, really care about, you know, beautifully made programmes that people really want to watch. I think you're going to still get loads of that out of Shine Endemol, but I think you're going to still get that out of everybody else. I think it was a pretty inspired move hiring Sophie Turner-Lang. I mean, I think, you know, combining her with Tim Hinks is going to make a pretty formidable partnership. So, I mean, I think, you know, you are looking at a company that's going to be impressive on a global scale. We, we, I find her a bit of an enigma, actually. I don't know much about her, how she operates. Is that the same? Is, is there that feeling in the TV industry, I think? 
I, I, I wouldn't say so. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know her really personally at all, but I certainly know that the vibe from Sky is that that was always a very happy team where creative people were allowed to run with the baton and run and do creative things, take risks, move quickly. So if that's an indication of the way that she operates, I think she'd probably be very popular and very successful. Stephen, if you were a producer at Shine or Endemol right now, on the ground, doing your day job, how, how, would, how would you feel about all of I'd this? I'd be worried about my job because the problem for the people working at Shine and Endemol is who's going to be replaced and who's going to be merged into one and all the rest of it. So it's that duplication. I mean, what, what um, Laura says is absolutely right. It doesn't make any difference to the TV landscape in terms of what, from the viewer's perspective, because programmes will continue to be made, et cetera, et cetera. The business may be a bit sort of, you know, uh, dwarfed by a kind of mega indie, but it doesn't change anything. It's competition is competition. But for those people working at Shine, you know, the head of paperclips, are they going to be replaced by the head of paperclips from Endemol, who's suddenly redundant or vice versa, you know? You can't have too so, many paperclips, though. Well, exactly. I mean, but it's this thing of how many bosses or, or uber bosses or under bosses or whatever are going to survive this kind of forced merging. Well, we've going already, on we've already world, had two casualties, haven't we? Juspi from Endemol and uh, Alex Mahon. Mm. At uh, Shine, I mean, um, I was surprised by, bi- I was surprised jobs, by Alex because I thought that she would survive the because she is a businesswoman and that's her forte. So, but then you know you can't have her and Sophie Turner Lang. So it's like you know you can't too many cooks. You know, I, I remember I met Liz a few months ago uh, at, a, at a very posh wedding. I've got to say that I was saying to her about that Shine, and she went, oh, "I'm taking very much a back seat on it," and and that's the thing. She's moved back, so it, you know, things change, people change. So the old Shine is Alex's thing this new entity i mean that's the other thing the signal is is that it's it's going to be a new ethos a bit you know it's, i mean it's relatively exciting i mean I think it, it but it's 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 one of those things how long is it going to take before the dust settles about 18 months i mean 18 saying. months of not knowing what's going on is bad for people working in the company i know that sophie turner lang has wrung individuals personally already somebody told me of course and was oh, very sort gossip. of reassuring and saying that, you know, don't worry. Think, because that's, and that, that was to kind of the key. probably how the news leaked out. Possibly. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. You know, you've got to keep your key creatives happy. But how many of those creatives are key? That's the, that's the key question. Just Ooh. quickly before we move on, Liz Murdoch, she'll, she'll stick around in the telly industry, do we think? Do you think she'll, oh, I think she'll... she's probably retired now. And she'll, yeah. just, she'll just spend her days knitting. No, I mean, think about somebody like Liz. Liz is, you know, when I worked she Shine years ago. She needs to keep occupied, ago, surely. Pardon? She needs to keep herself occupied. I mean, she's, yeah. she's, she's I mean, a clever years woman. Years and years ago, Liz said to me, when, when I worked at Shine, it was a tiny company. It was only, I don't know, 25 people or something. And she said to me, I want to be as big as Endemol one day. And I used, to think, oh, I used to laugh at that. But I respected her ambition. And she did it within about five years. Now she's eaten Endemol. She's actually bigger than Endemol. It's like, so, you know, you don't, you don't lose that ambition. But nor do you necessarily concern yourself with the day-to-day infighting and all the rest of it. So she'll obviously go on to do amazing things because that's what she's like. But, uh, you know, we haven't seen the last of her. No way. OK, let's move on. Uh, up next is the findings of a National Union of Journalists study into the treatment of women in TV newsrooms. Uh, the research found that 43% of 227 women had experienced sexism at work while there are also gasp-inducing tales of sexual harassment. Uh, Age discrimination and a gender pay gap were also highlighted as issues. Uh, Laura, this all sounds like a a bygone era, doesn't it? No, I don't think it does. I think it sounds sort of depressing that things haven't moved on, but I'm kind of not surprised. I mean, That's appalling, isn't it? Well, it is appalling, but... It's not surprising. I mean, I think sort of certain climates are sort of, you know, effectively sort of macho in their structure. And 
things have moved on, but they've got a hell of a lot further to go. I mean, you only need to look sort of beyond the television industry to stuff like, you know, the everyday sexism projects that are going on to understand that pay inequality is still rife. And therefore, you just have to keep vigilant and keep moving on. And if you think about what, you know, the brilliant work that broadcasts have done about sort of promoting women, that has to kind of keep on. So what will be interesting was this was only a poll of the women. And I think what they obviously need to do now to kind of get the full sort of picture is survey the men and actually find out what was the pay gap because what they're talking about is women's perception of the pay gap rather than necessarily get those pay slips out and let's find out because you might find out it's even worse than they suspect. Stephen, what do you make of the, the findings? I was a bit shocked, actually, because... And then I looked at it again, re- realised they're talking about newsrooms, because I took it as TV initially. Oh, and do I, you think this is, this is I, a wider problem in TV, I think, or is it... I, well, from my perspective, being a good-looking young man who's often, you know, treated as a sexual object, <laughs> I've never experienced sexism because I've always worked in female-led teams. I've, most of my bosses have been female. It's never been an issue. The pay thing has never been an issue, particularly... But that's been in TV, you know, making programmes. The newsroom has always had a reputation for being a kind of 70s style, you know, macho culture. That's the depressing part. You think that obviously still is true. I know, I think, I think it's disgraceful. I and mean, I can't believe it. we're even still talking about it in 2014. But it obviously is going on. But hopefully not in TV. Hopefully not in small indies and things like that. Because I think that is where, to me, women are the dominant creative force in telly. There's, there always seems to be more women than men in my experience. So if, if it still is you're not getting paid enough because you're a woman or people are squeezing your ass and grabbing your tits and whatever else because it's which, all which jokey. Is, uh, and, among the findings. That's here. the thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's genuine. To me, I was genuinely shocked by it. I mean, I, I think I would agree with you. I think so. television as a broader industry, I think you don't find sexism like this. I think what you do find is low-level sexism. I mean, you know, I'm a 43-year-old woman who runs an independent production company. But you're still beautiful. Oh, bless your heart. <laughs> but people still call me a girl all the time. No. Constantly. You know, the girls that run Outline is, is a frequent phrase. Wow. Now, Outline is a company run by three women. That's not sexist in the same way as this, but... There is a sort of small s sexism that comes into that sort of day-to-day thing. Does that bother you? It's increasingly bothering me, actually, as you become aware of it and you start to think that very regularly I'm asked about, you know, does our does our gender define the programming, does our gender oh, define right, yeah. the, the output that we make? And you think, well, I'm not sure that other people running other companies, you know, like Firecracker or Arrow, are asked whether their gender defines their programming. Yeah, so I suppose it's, it's small s sexism. Mm. I worked once at a channel where the channel controller used to boast of his newsroom training and experience, and he was well known within the channel as being extremely sexist. And several high-powered female indie bosses would uh, take advantage of this by going in to pitch wearing tight T-shirts because he would basically stare at their breasts and say yes and green like their commissions. Do you agree with those Channel. tactics, Laura? Uh, that's not the way that I would want to <laughs> That's not the way you do business. No. Okay, on that note, let's, shall we move on to the, to the, final, uh, the final piece in our news section, uh, which is our commission of the fortnight. Uh, we're going to bend the rules a little bit and discuss a development, but it's a titillating one nonetheless. Uh, yes, CPL Productions is developing a sitcom for ITV based on Anne Summers' boss Jacqueline Gold's autobiography. Good Vibrations is penned by Oriana Messina and Faye Rustling, who have written on Greenwing and Smack the Pony in the past. 
Stephen, what do you what do you think? It sounds it's exciting. Up your street? It sounds really exciting, and it doesn't sound like the same old, same old. And that's the really exciting part. I mean, ACPL are a company that haven't necessarily done drama or comedy before. This will be they, their first comedy, I think. But they obviously can do it. They have that in their DNA. And so I like the idea of a different producer's perspective coming in at, with a subject that actually isn't your typical boy meets girl or drama about crime or whatever. You know, there's no vampires in this one. <laughs> it sounds interesting. It sounds like it could be quite cool and, and funky. And yeah. <laughs> Laura, do you agree? I totally agree. It sounds like great fun. I mean, you know, you've got a combination of sex and business. That's got to be a great story. And it's fantastic to see CPL, who've gone from strength to strength, producing fabulous studio-based shows, being given a, a commission and getting that in, in comedy and moving into drama. I mean, that's the kind of thing that you feel excited about. Commissioners, you know, taking risks on companies who've proven their creative expertise, but, you know, can try other genres. I'm sure it'll be a great success. And quickly, uh, our final commission of the fortnight, uh, The Sun has moved into original commissioning with a Gogglebox Entertainment format featuring celebrities swatting flies. Mm. Uh, Stephen? Yes. I don't know whether this is genius of the highest order or or not. It's been massively popular on our website this week. Oh, really? Uh, but I'm more excited again about the fact that this is another vehicle for uh, content. You know, the idea that the sun is, is creating content, I'm, I'm all for people creating content. You know, we need business. People, we're producers. We want to make shows. We don't really care where they go. We just want people to see them. And who knows? Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is they're going to try it out. It shows they're experimenting. It shows they're not scared of trying new things. If this works for the sun, why wouldn't they do loads more stuff mm. and why wouldn't other people sort of take a leaf out of their book and start you know experimenting you just have to look globally at the growth of video content online mm. i mean it's exponential to see that this is the kind of rich content that's going to totally work for all kinds of publications so yeah uh, we'll leave it there that's your news for this episode my thanks to laura and stephen Now then, you wouldn't naturally associate ITV2 with ancient Rome, but the landmark in history just so happens to be the backdrop to the channel's biggest ever sitcom. Plebs is currently rattling through an extended eight-part second series and follows three hapless lads as they figure out their place in a world characterised by power and money. The first series averaged 900,000 viewers and conquered several award ceremonies, but this comedy wasn't built in a day. In a moment, we'll join brothers Sam and Teddy Leifer, who, after shooting plebs on a mountain in Bulgaria earlier this year, are now applying the finishing touches to Series 2 in a Hoxton edit suite. But before we talk to them, let's listen to some of the second series. Are you all right? Well, this quack's clearly trying to fleece us, isn't he, when it's perfectly obvious what's happened. Yes, Grumio's eaten pooey fruit. Exactly, and offended Hygieia, goddess of being clean. Right. To be fair, he has been offending her for quite some time. Well, there you go. She's finally snapped. We need to ask for her forgiveness and maybe do a vigil. Not stuff him with herbs. Sylphium is used by the army to fight infection. That's pretty convincing. We need to pray together by candlelight. Also convincing. Look, obviously, it's your decision. I'd rather go with what the grown-up says. Well, how much is the medicine? 200 denarii. Yeah. I think we're going to go with the prayer and candles. So here we are at Splice. Uh, we've got writer and director Sam Leifer with us and producer Teddy Leifer. Tell us what you're working on right now. What, what's going on in the, in the edit? We've just edited episode seven, uh, which is called The Statue, and we've just sent a cut to ITV, and so we're awaiting their notes, which hopefully will be minimal. So is this the first cut they're seeing? 
they see my second cut and then they give notes and then we do a further cut and then lock the picture and this episode is called the statue although it might the name might be changed to the phallus that's a live debate that's happening at the moment and the boys in plebs bump into a, an old school friend a guy that marcus used to bully while they were at school and he's now a hotshot lawyer in rome and lo and behold they need his help we're obviously on second series take us right back to the beginning how did this all come about and, and where did the idea come from The idea was basically a combination of two things happening. Uh, One, me racking my brains to come up with an idea for a sitcom because I was sort of at that stage where having written on other people's shows, I wanted to come up with my own show. And uh, my parents asking me what I was going to do with my classics degree. Somehow the two ideas came together. And it was also what a lot of people want to write about is, you know, in sitcom terms, is the stuff that's happened to them. But if you go, I've got a sitcom about a bunch of guys living in Kilburn in their early 20s, just trying to make it in the world. That's not the strongest hook for a sitcom, because everyone wants to pitch that show, and it just sounds really boring. But if you then go, but it's in Rome in 26 BC, even though it's the same sitcom, it immediately becomes a little bit more exciting as a sort of a poster image, and you get to bring in storylines that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, like you know, someone fighting in the arena as a gladiator or a political assassination or that sort of thing. And, and Teddy, was ITV2 always the, the destination? Well, no. We, I mean, we hadn't really started pitching the idea at all and we had a meeting with Claire Zolkwa, who was then starting to sort of ramp up their scripted comedy it almost happened, I think we pitched her three or four ideas and she basically went, nah, not interested in any of them. Towards the end of the meeting, she'd said something like, we're looking for uh, young people in an extraordinary setting. And then Sam... It was one of those Columbo moments where you turn around and go, yeah, she'd rejected pretty much everything. And I just sort of got to the door and went, well, there, there is this one, this one more thing. It's, uh, you're going to hate it. You're going to hate the idea, which is, a, which is actually, it turns out, a brilliant way to pitch it. Because you go, they go, no, maybe I won't. So you're going to hate it. You're going to think it's too expensive. You're going to think it sounds too Oxbridge. You'll hate it. I'm not even going to say it. Say it, say it. Uh, <laughs> so then we, we said it. And actually then the process from that point on was really quick because we realized that in ITV, we had a really good backer there because they've just been really encouraging. It was Claire initially, then Mafanwi and Angela Jane and Peter Fincham. And they've all just basically, they've completely backed us so we were always going to stick with them. It was it, We just had a really good feeling about them, so we didn't need to take it elsewhere. So the, the show sort of exploded onto the screen, didn't it? And it was highest-rated sitcom on ITV2 ever. Well, it, it didn't take me by surprise that much, because ITV2 had only had about two or three sitcoms <laughs> before that. But no, we were, really, we were really happy with the viewing figures. With viewing figures at the moment, because people are watching a time shift and stuff, they say the viewing figures, or you say the viewing figures, and then I call up Teddy and I say, is that good? And he goes, yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's how we work out how excited we should be. It's how excited Teddy tells me I should be. In all departments, the show sort of grew with confidence, whether that was the writers or Sam as director, me as producer, the whole, all our HODs, cast and crew. There was a real confidence that came with the show being a hit show. And I think we, with series two, we've thought a bit bigger. That sort of leads all the way back to Sam and Tom thinking up ideas that are ambitious and maybe couldn't be seen on other British sitcoms. And that was very much helped by the set itself in Bulgaria increasing in size. 
So tell us about some of the challenges on Series 2. What what was the biggest set piece you did and uh, how did you approach it? You know, with, with shooting, everything is a nightmare. So you've got to, you've got to start on the basis that, that there's nothing that's very enjoyable. You're just trying to get through. So everything is horrible and a challenge and you just try and make it as good as possible. But it's all pretty horrific. But in terms of what is the most horrific... Obviously, there's the cliche of children and animals, and we we embraced that. So we had a baby, an episode which fully involves a baby, and we stupidly, and I knew I was going to eventually have to direct it, but I forgot that at the time I was writing it, had the baby feeding from a goat's udder, which is a really stupid thing to write. And then we go on set and we go, right, now we've got to have a baby drinking milk from a goat's udder. We had to build a rig. With a uh, yeah. with a fake goat yeah. and a fake udder. Yeah, basically the the answer to the question how to do it is a fake goat, fake fake baby. That's how you, that's how you do. It. Then had to do two chariot races, obviously, because one isn't enough. Had to do one really big one in an arena to look like the Circus Maximus, with tens of thousands of cra- uh, people crowd replicated, and Jim Rosenthal doing the commentary on it, like proper chariots, proper. We did that one, and then we also had to do another chariot race. I say had to. We didn't have to do any of this. Um, it was obviously all our own choice. Had to do one where Joel, playing Stylax, actually takes part in a chariot race. That was him doing proper big stunts. He did a couple of weeks of uh, chariot training, one week in England, one week in Bulgaria. I mean, this stuff doesn't happen in Steptoe and Son. What else? There was loads and, of and other... And um, then just a sizable cast this year, just flying in and out and, and scheduling that and, and constantly being on the move, schedule-wise. It was a quite a long... It was eight episodes this year rather than six... 11-day fortnights and with a big cast and just keeping everyone up and energised over that length of period is... Well, you you do that with carrot juice. Teddy goes round with a, a mixture of carrot and ginger juice on set. That's that's his main trick as a producer. He goes... I mean, Ryan takes the piss a bit. Ryan, who plays Grumio, says that Teddy's approach to producing is he goes round with a, a cup of carrot and ginger juice, puts his arm around you and tells you that everything is great and fine, even though you can see in his eyes that it's not. Uh, and Easter eggs from uh, my visit to the set earlier this year. Yeah, no, we got a bit of a shock when we when it, it was Easter and some of the crew were having actually all of the crew were having to work over one of the days of Easter and it, they and you know it's quite a significant holiday. Oh, yeah. We found out in Bulgaria. Yeah, the line that we kept on hearing in Bulgaria is when you say uh, refer to Easter, they go uh, they take Easter quite seriously out here. That was the line. Basically, the idea of them taking it quite seriously is to say to us we really shouldn't be at work here. So we got the message and Teddy had an idea that it would be really nice to give all the crew an easter egg so he got the um production coordinators to price it up they said uh well that's going to be uh 150 times four quid or whatever it was and Teddy's like whoa whoa sorry why 150 eggs and she's like well because there's 150 people in the crew and we had no idea there were that amount of people working on plebs because when you do most productions here of a similar of similar shows you've got like 30 or 40 people in the crew and he's like what there's there's 35 people in the art department and you realize that when you see all of these men uh, these old men with beards and a paintbrush in their hand and a cigarette hanging out of their mouth they're all working for plebs and we didn't know so basically it's this mega it's this colossal production where they all got easter eggs yeah everyone got an egg but it didn't help with uh, how they felt about easter (laughs) they take it very seriously so uh, we've mentioned we've mentioned bulgaria a few times tell us about working out there it's fantastic the standard of crew uh, have been brilliant on series one and two 
and we held on to a lot of our crew from series one into two. We only take with a, a small number of British crew, a few HODs, and then the rest of the crew is Bulgarian. So I think we're probably 95% Bulgarian crew. The sets are obviously the big initial draw to go there. But actually the standard of work from the art department, the speed... Yeah, well, there's loads of them. There's lots, <laughs> a lot of them. And they're mostly... They're, the art department's job are mo- mostly making penis-shaped uh, props for me. So they've got um, penises that go on heads for uh, stag do's. They've got a, a range of phalluses to be snapped off a statue. So you've got your, your standard polystyrene one. You've got foam. You've got a wooden version. And there's basically just a poor Bulgarian guy who's just looking at his brief for the day's work and he's like yeah another another penis for the leafer brothers so <laughs> if you want phalluses go to bulgaria is that the message i mean yeah. well if you i mean if yeah if you want to work on plebs and you want to be in, in the art department you basically only get to make phalluses for my brother you mentioned your brother i mean i asked you this when i was out on set what's it like working together as brothers Oh, stop it. I mean, how... It's, purposes it, of the tape. For, yeah, uh, I just grabbed my brother's penis. Yeah, okay, well, that, you know, that can't, that can't go in this podcast now. I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, it's sort of a weird thing to do and explain. Answer the question. How's it working with my brother? Well, you've just seen a bit, you've just seen a bit of it. Poor Matt cannot even hold the, the microphone straight because of what you've just done. It's nice working with my brother. It's a, it's a little strange sometimes. I think we get things done well and we, we enjoy it for the most part. It's an absolute privilege to work with Teddy Leifer. It's an honour. He actually, I don't know if you've mentioned this, but he won two Emmys in the last 48 hours. He's just come back from New York, where he was the winner of two Emmys. So it's it's a privilege to be working with him and his brother. Are, you, an, are you taking me more seriously as a producer in the last 48 hours? As a producer, yes. As a person, no. Thank you, I guess. Our mum was always worried about us working together because she thought she would have to come onto set and sort of split up fights and stuff like that. But she came to set in Bulgaria and we weren't fighting, so she was really happy about that. And I think that the, the key to it is that we've each got to think that the other one's really good and that we couldn't do a better job at what the other one does. And I think that's the case. Nine times out of ten, we agree creatively with one another as well, and that helps, and we share a taste in comedy that goes a long way to wanting to do the same stuff. You're putting the finishing touches to Series 2. What happens after this? Where do you go from here? Well, that's sort of up to Peter Fincham and Angela Jane. You've got other documentaries that you're working on at the moment, aren't you? I do, but I'd love to make more plebs. I'd love to make many more seasons of plebs. It's, yeah. it's, it's great fun, and everyone, everyone involved, the cast, the writers, the producers, loves making the show. I sort of can't really imagine something I'd rather be doing at the moment than making plebs. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, plebs continues on Monday at 10pm. Uh, welcome back to Maple Street Studios, where Laura Mansfield, Stephen D. Wright and I are primed for some previews. Up first this week is ITV's newest crime-fighting franchise, Grantchester. Set in the Cambridgeshire village that gives the period drama its title, the six-part series follows vicar Sidney Chambers and overworked inspector Geordie Keating, played by Robson Green, as they solve a different mystery every week. Produced by Shine-owned indie Lovely Day, here's a taste of the first episode where Chambers suspects foul play in the death of a local parishioner. He drank. That's what the Irish do, of course, but he was in debt up to his eyeballs. Took from his firm. He was on the verge of being discovered, so he stays on in the office, sets about a decanter of whiskey, and he blows his brains out. Did he leave a note? 
Yes, there was a note. Uh, well, may I see it? No, you may not. Why don't you go back to church and pray for the wicked? It's murky waters you're sticking your toe into, Mr. Chambers. I'd steer well clear if I were you. Stephen, the producer described this in broadcast this week as a, a, a chocolate box drama with a with a hard centre. Do you agree with that? Uh, a chocolate box drama, definitely. I'm not sure about the hard centre. More like a gooey soft centre that's going to make <laughs> you feel sick because it was so attractive from a kind of dream commission. This is Marple meets Robson Green meets a bit of Downton. Loads of lovely actors, period costume, tiny bit of kind of jeopardy or whatever and this amazing actor who everybody's going to fancy the, you know the sexy vicar who's still kind of pure at heart <laughs> james so, norton james norton who was yeah. tommy lee royce in happy valley you know the, the evil sexy serial killer, killer. <laughs> who you know i mean he is going to be a massive star so this is going to be a huge hit whether it's a great program is a different question i mean i did enjoy it but then i was you know i'm one of these people that as a sucker for escapism and all the rest of it i mean i like a good period drama it, you know, it's not a radical commission, let's put it that way. It's not as good as something like Marvellous that was on BBC last week, which was so kind of incredible. But this will be a hit, definitely. It does feel like it's got all those ingredients, doesn't it? Oh. Yeah, it, I mean, it's got everything. It's kind of warm bath telly, isn't it? It's not going to scare the horses at all. It's something you can watch with the whole family. Like Stephen says, it's got overtones of marple. It feels familiar. But, you know, the twist, it's sort of got just enough of a twist, which is sexy, hot. I mean, he is good looking. Um, <laughs> let's not forget it. So you've got this sexy vicar who's obviously got a little bit of a naughty side. I mean, I would agree. I don't think it's got a hard centre. But it's got a little twinkle in its eye. Mm. And you've got a vicar who, you know, the opening scenes is him romping in the river with his seemingly girlfriend. Mm. And he smokes and he drinks whiskey, not sherry. And and he's killed men. He's he's killed. Oh, yeah, of course, because he's he was killed a first before. world war soldier. <laughs> I enjoyed watching this and I will watch the next one, especially as they're self-contained episodes as well. That's the other thing. Yeah, it's, but, it's murder of the week. Isn't yeah, it? it's, it's, but this, this is the same. I like watching Marple. I mean, I, you know, even when I've watched the same one again, the same story, it's, it, it, it is pure escapism. And, it, and to me, it adds to the mix on ITV. I think it will look good in their schedule. It feels quite high quality for them. It's going up against New Tricks, which isn't performing particularly well at the moment. Mm. Uh, so I think it's got every chance of succeeding. I think it'll have a much broader audience reach than the new tricks just because the kids can watch it, grannies can watch it. Mm. I mean it's not kind of my personal bag. I'm not I'm not a big Marple period drama murder mystery kind of person, but saying that I think it'll do well. I think it's fun. It's also nice to see Lucky Day, you know, again kind of mixing up kind of commissions, mixing up indies who aren't necessarily the juggernaut kind of providers of of regular drama, nice to see sort of them getting something away too. If it does well, doubtless it will come back. I mean, I think, they've, they've, I think they've if been... they hadn't a cast Robson Green, it would have felt <laughs> more original. The fact that he suddenly turns up and you go, oh, that feels like you know ITV going, oh, make sure we can put a banker in here. You know, it'll... I think Robson Green was one of my favourite bits about it though. Their, oh, their relationship you can't with... go wrong with Robson. I'm all about the sexy vicar. <laughs> Grant Chester debuts on Monday the 6th of October at 9pm. Last but not least, we head over to BBC Two, which has cooked up a Gogglebox-style series from the makers of Channel 4's hit format. Yes, Studio Lambert's The Kitchen will take us into kitchens around the country where eight families prepare and eat meals together. It's as simple as that. In the first of three episodes, the Barry Powers family sit down for a spag bowl dinner. Why do people say it's bad manners putting your elbow on the table? How is that bad manners? Because you're nudging people. Mm-hmm. What was that? 
I didn't actually. I did. Yeah, but I reckon it's comfortable with your elbows on the table. You've got no manners, but I got manners. You I say please and thank you all the time. Yeah, but you'll burp and fart anyway. <laughs> no, it does say please and thank you, and he's courteous to people and stuff like that. I don't even know what that means. Polite. Yeah, polite. Courteous. Yeah, polite. Why didn't you just say polite then? <laughs> Laura, what did you make of this one? I thought it was such a clever commission. I, you know, when I sort of heard about it, I just had enormous format envy, I have to say. I just sort of thought, that's really smart. You know, take Gogglebox, take it to the kitchen, which is, you know, everyone always knows that's where all parties happen. That's where all life in the family happens. And I thought there were some really smart, insightful moments in it. My favourite family were the older couple who were just delightful and utterly charming. And I just enjoyed every moment I spent in their company. I think for me, the challenge was it, it was an hour long programme. I think where Gogglebox hooks you in as a viewer because you've watched those programmes that week and so you can really relate to those families and you've got a reason to watch next week. I think my challenge with this show is I enjoyed how beautifully observed it was but I wasn't sure I would have a reason to watch next week and I think that's going to be the challenge with this show. I found it, A, a very interesting idea but after 15 minutes or so I was starting to think, oh my God, because it starts to drag. After, you, after you've seen Still that... Still got 45 of, minutes left. Well, this is it. It was a very long hour. It was a very long hour. And I really didn't, at the end of it, think, I'm coming back to watch these people again. I mean, the basic scenario is, if you're in a restaurant and you've got a middle-class family with boisterous, precocious children next to you, are they that entertaining? They are for two minutes, but would you come back to them? That, that really is the key. To me, if this had been a one-off, it, it, it would have been, oh, this is incredibly kind of clever and interesting. As a series... It's going to be so repetitive. I already got sort of slightly bored with seeing the same people having three meals. The casting is good and it's all about class, as it always is with Studio Lambert. Posh people versus, you know, middle class versus, uh, you know, working class. Great characters, but an hour's worth followed by another hour followed by... That's There's be... only three episodes, though. I mean, uh, oh, right. it's not, well, that's not it, 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 a really long run. I mean, it feels like they're testing the water a little bit. Yeah, I, to me, it's not Gogglebox. It's not as entertaining as Gogglebox. Gogglebox, you have, they, they react to things that when, when they see it on TV. You have guaranteed sort of entertainment. It's snappier. This felt a lot looser and also felt slightly more stilted. So it felt like they were talking to the cameraman in the kitchen. Uh, you know, some of the bits, obviously, you know, you, the bit we just heard with the Welsh family sort of having an argument, that that felt relatively real because they were, they were big enough to talk amongst each other. But the smaller groups were being interviewed. That isn't quite as natural sounding as you'd hope. And I think your ear gets used to that. Sometimes it felt very stilted. And then sometimes it felt boring. You know, people are just standing talking bollocks. And it's like, is this, I wouldn't be interested if they were my own family. To me, it's a very risky show. Yeah, it's it's it could really do well, or it could sink. It's it's interesting as well because Kim Schillinglaw, who's the new controller of BBC Two, really likes it evidently because I, this was all filmed late August. Mm, and, very fast, uh, very very quickly turned round for later this or later this month in October. It, it provides a bit of an insight into wh where she wants to take the channel. Maybe I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm thinking out loud too much. Well, I think like Stephen says, I mean, you know. Anything which shows channels, commissioners taking risks, mixing it up, doing something that's fast turnaround that might not work. I mean, I think this could go one way or the other. I think it will either resonate so deeply with people that they get hooked in. I suppose my fear is that that gentle pace probably won't prove so hooky. But, 
I think good on her. Try it, mix it up. Let's try and reinvent what documentaries feel like and let's keep on playing. I mean, the more playful that we can all be with Factual, I think that's what it needs. It needs a big old good shake-up. Some food for thought there Ooh. for BBC Two. <laughs> <laughs> the Kitchen will launch on Monday the 6th of October at 9pm. Uh, that's your lot for this instalment of Talking TV. My thanks to Laura Mansfield, Stephen D. Wright and, of course, the plebs boys, Teddy and Sam Leifer. Uh, thanks to you for listening as well. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but if you can't wait until then, why not flick through our back catalogue? It's a treasure trove of telly treats. Uh, I've been Jake Cantor and the producer was the mercurial Matt Hill. Goodbye for now. You've been listening to Broadcast, talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 